So let me put this in a story. I flew to England um, for the Queen's funeral. Obviously didn't have to show anything when I landed in England about my vaccination status. Needed it to get on the plane, clearly. On the plane, I had to wear a mask. I, I, I don't mind. But still, you take your mask off to eat. Um, then you get off the plane, no one's wearing a mask. And then you get on a subway, no one's wearing a mask or a train. And then you're downtown in London, no one's wearing a mask. You come back to the airport, no one's wearing a mask. Um, you wait around, no one's wearing a mask. And then you get back on the plane, put your mask back on. So it all seemed a bit odd at this point. It's not that I have anything against anyone wearing a mask, by the way, they are effective. Um, but those are all coming to an end now. All those restrictions, all those things we had in place when it came to travel on the border are going to come to an end on October the 1st. So COVID-19 restrictions such as vaccination, masking, requirements for flights and trains and so forth are done. Here's how the Prime Minister explained it. We make decisions based on what experts, what doctors, what uh, public health authorities uh, recommend us to do. Uh, and uh, there is uh, the sense that these border measures uh, were no longer um, effective or no longer justified. So this includes mandatory vaccination, testing and quarantine of international travelers, etc. The Arrive Can app becomes optional. We already kind of knew that. Uh, the health minister though, says that uh, they could be reinstated if needed. And we will therefore leave open all possible options uh, when it comes to protecting the safety of Canadians in the world, in a COVID-19 world, which in particular we know has been generating all sorts of surprises over the last uh, two years and a half. Well, with more on this, joining me now is Dr. Zane Chagla. He's an associate professor of medicine in the Faculty of Health Sciences at McMaster University in Hamilton. Thanks for your time. Hi, good afternoon. So just your first reaction to uh, to this move we've been waiting for, and I think people had predicted it might be coming this month, but uh, what, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think this matches what's happening with the rest of society, you know, and, and really matches what's been happening in, in much of the world. You know, we do know vaccines are really important, but their ability to limit transmission is is limited. And, uh, and you know, knowing that much of the world that one way or another has immunity, either through vaccination or natural infection, really starts bringing down the potential for vaccine to add another layer of safety in travel. And so, you know, knowing that there are people excluded. I'm glad that, you know, that uh, that's anyone has the ability to travel, although I'd encourage them to still get vaccinated. And then the masking issue, I think, has been contentious. And, and certainly masking does help with reducing transmission. I don't think we argue about that. But again, in the context of most of society where masks are optional and, you know, the, the fact that airplanes, uh, when ventilation systems are running, are very effective and you know, people having to take a mask down while traveling for drinks and eating, you know, really does make it a bit difficult to kind of enforce it as a measure when, again, the rest of society can go out, go to a Raptors game, go to a restaurant, go to church, go to school without a mask. But this is the one environment where it's still needed. Yeah, it, it, well, I, as I was mentioning, I just came back uh, from the UK on the plane. And of course, you know, there were very few masks on the streets of London over the course of all the different events for the Queen's funeral. Um, there were no masks on the train to Heathrow. There were no masks in the waiting room or the waiting area. And then I'll, you get on the plane, you put one on. Now, I don't mind. But and then you take it down to eat. So it just all seemed a bit it all seemed a bit random at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Look, and, and again, there are 
good reasons to wear a mask or good times to wear a mask in travel. I think those crowded spaces may be a place where, especially if your risk is high or you want to add additional protection, you know, mask may help in those settings. But again, there are, as you mentioned, there are lots of those settings in reality where masks are optional. There are lots of places in the world where flying where masks are optional. And so I think, again, in the context of very good immunity, where the disease is very different in the vast majority of the population, access to treatments are here, newer vaccines are here. You know, I, I think we start thinking about some of these old rules more in the context of if they're really still needed. And and again, focusing on the things that really do, you know, affect healthcare, like vaccinations and treatment. From a public health perspective, and I mean, I, I, I you know there were a lot of people clamoring early on for, for strict rules at the border, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that was one of those things in the early days of the pandemic that was, uh, that was championed. But as it wore on, it felt like it was the one thing that just wouldn't go away was these sort of border restrictions. Uh, why do you think they lingered for so long? And were they effective? I mean, I guess what it boils down to is, were they good policy, even though they seemed like a good idea when they were first implemented? So, you know, I think at the beginning, look, all we had was trying to slow down transmission as a way to mitigate healthcare utilization. And so I think, you know, every measure has to be weighed, but at the same time, you know, we had very little to reduce the number of cases, or at least the number of cases that ended up in the hospital. Uh, and so, you know, some of the measures we put in place at the border were absolutely reasonable in consideration that we didn't have any tools. Uh, when, you know, the Alpha variant came, similarly, I think there were travel restrictions that were reimposed to places like the United Kingdom, quarantines, that type of thing, where... Again, you know, it was a bridge to try to get people vaccinated at the time and, and get to a better spot before we reopened travel. But I think when Omicron hit, there was a really big lesson that was learned there, right? You know, you imagine back in November 2021, most of the Canadian population had been fully vaccinated. We were unclear what the impact of Omicron was, but we decided to, you know, shut out reasons and test everyone when we got through the border. And, you know, within a week, we started hearing about Omicron exploding in our local communities. It's already too late. And and I think that's the big part. You know, with the next variant and the next variant and the next variant, it's going to be in our communities before we even pick it up at the border. Uh, And I think we have to just buckle down and scale up on the things that work, making sure that we vaccinate people, giving treatments to people who are at risk, doing surveillance in our communities, using sequencing and wastewater to understand what's circulating in our communities. But again, it became very apparent over time that the border wasn't going to keep out variants of concern, that people are globalized. Uh, And again, you know, those measures really weren't doing much other than adding a lot of inconvenience to the traveler and keeping certain people away from the country. And do you think removing these now is going to have an impact? Anything noticeable? You know, we we did look at this in a report, and the bottom line is, you know, when when there's a certain percentage of people that have COVID in your country, and then there's a certain number of people that have COVID coming in over the border, if the percentage of people in your country getting COVID is higher, or you know, the 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 freedoms in that country are. Um, uh, you know, basically back to normal, the impact of bringing cases in over the border is pretty minimal in that sense. Yes, variants will come, but I don't think there's any way to keep them out, especially in a globalized society. If something is more transmissible than even the BA4, BA5 Omicron, you know, it'll be here one way or another, whether or not we close the border and open it up in six months or we leave it open for six months. Um, and, you know, again, I, I think that really just... Uh, 
spells the message that you know we should be treating everything equal and the border is as everything else in society uh you know if we're going to maintain an open society then again the border is probably going to be very minimal in terms of what it's going to contribute to covid transmission and in terms of just as a tool a tool of coercion so to speak keeping people off planes and trains if they weren't vaccinated keeping people off planes and trains if they wouldn't mask was that effective do you think as public policy you know, I looked at this as part of an op-ed in the in the Globe and Mail. So, you know, November was when the the deadline for proof of vaccination came into place where people couldn't use a test and an exemption to get on a plane or train. Uh, and when I looked at this in about May, 3% of the adult population had gotten a primary series of vaccines in that interim. And again, some of that may be other reasons uh, or other contexts. I think it probably wore out in terms of what it could do and and how much it could inspire people getting uh, there. And, and, you know, again, you know, vaccine immunity is not the only immunity there. Yes, if there was no immunity in the population through infection, you know, we would want people to get vaccinated. But we're seeing, you know, studies out of BC, out of the Canadian Immunity Task Force, suggesting that 60 to 70 percent of the Canadian population has had COVID. And globally, it's probably even higher in the context of many countries having even less controls than Canada. And so, you know, I think in that context, um, you know, do we want people to get immunized? Absolutely. And we want to make it a positive decision that they and their providers both agree to and, and are inspired to continue to do. But I think as a tool of coercion, it's it's not appropriate anymore. And, and again, you know, we may actually be doing more harm in pushing people away. Um, Dr. Chenko, tell me a bit about this report, because it's it's a really interesting one. I know, obviously, the travel and tourism industry were pushing for some of these restrictions to come down because they felt it was impacting their businesses. But you went at this from, from, a, from a medical standpoint. Were there any surprises in there about, about how effective some of these measures were and weren't? Yeah. So, I mean, there were there were some facts I think we knew that that airline travel was probably, you know, there was transmission that happened on airlines, but it was less than than other uh, modalities, considering some of the measures in place like ventilation and filtration. Um, But I think the interesting part was looking at some of the modeling studies. And again, we don't have great data in terms of exactly as a randomized control trial what uh, border measures would do. So we model it out based on what we think, you know, the number of people we'd pick up with testing, the number of people that we'd stop transmitting with quarantine and and, and go through that. And I think earlier, again, when we had vaccines that matched the variants well and we had um, more defined symptoms, uh, there was a lot more potential for these measures to work. You know, there was one nice modeling study that tried to look at, you know, Omicron, the use of testing uh, and uh, and uh, short quarantine, basically, in terms of preventing the emergence of an Omicron peak in a country, and it prevented the peak by about four days. Uh, and so, you know, I think... Uh, when we start looking at what's happening globally, and we're seeing this in action, even places in the world that have had fairly strict restrictions like Hong Kong and Japan seeing fairly massive waves of COVID, you know, once this comes into the border, once it starts circulating locally, uh, which is often before it's even picked up in terms of being screened as a variant, things are already out of control. And and again, you know, shutting down the border, adding impositions at the border is likely not going to do much to change that that prognosis. It's transmitting locally. Um, so I think that's it's, it's a good lesson. And especially as the frame for these measures being lifted is maybe being put back if something changes, it really does suggest that these should be lifted in permanency, given that, you know, whatever comes down the line is going to be here one way or another, whether or not, again, it's in months 
months or, or years, we really can't avoid being connected to the world. And again, we shouldn't be using the border as a way to police the pandemic. Yeah, I, I imagine that we did. Uh, and the ArriveCan app, of course, is becoming optional. One wonders how many people will use that. I found it quite easy to use now because I've used it quite a few times. But um, I, I guess we're, we're the one thing is we are going to start losing some of that data that we had at the border, which mm -hmm. I think was probably the only way we were still keeping track of things to some extent. But at the same time, like we've lost data in some of our communities, right? Sure. You know, it's it's interesting because if I'm a traveler who's coming back from, you know, an international destination, I get picked for an asymptomatic test. Um, you know, I have to go get my test done. It may be positive or negative. If I don't get picked for a test a day later, uh, develop symptoms, I don't have access to a PCR test in my community unless I'm a high-risk person or a healthcare worker. That data is really not being collected a day after I travel in that sense, right? So, you know, I, I think this is where the paradox happens is what data is good data. And again, there are, in the report, we talk about great ways to still get good data. We can still sequence local samples and upload them internationally, which many other countries are doing. I can look up the variants in the United States off the CDC website. You know, Canada should be doing the same to be contributing to the world, and they are. Uh, and wastewater has become a really interesting tool, and, and even adapting wastewater to the airport is being experimented with so that we pick up on variants based on wastewater from flights and, and actually use that as a tool to say what's circulating in the world in that context. So we're getting better tools, and I think that's the, the bigger thing is that we don't necessarily need data that's imposing to the traveler. We can use passive data that we have access to without necessarily creating extra barriers in the travel and tourism industry. Did you get a sense at any point that um, that we'd kind of run out of ideas? That there was all these sort of very creative ideas at the beginning, and of course, lots of great work continues. Uh, but that at a certain point, we sort of came up with these first ideas like testing and and, and masks and and restrictions, and we just didn't move on from them because we didn't have we needed something there to be to to, to ease people's fears. Um, but we didn't know what else to if we took them away. There was nothing else there, right? People were going to feel exposed. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's human behavior. We were very, you know, attached to the numeracy of this pandemic, especially at the times where, again, case rates were just such a translation into what's going to happen in our healthcare utilization. And now it's very different in the context of vaccines and treatments and immunity. Um, but at the same time, like, I think it is innovations too. Like wastewater was used really effectively in Australia. And then we really just adapted it over the last few months to, to tweak it and use it as a really good surveillance, both locally. And now we're experimenting with it, even at the airports to, to experiment with how to go through things globally. Uh, so, you know, I, I think there's just innovation that's occurring in a bubble here. And and even as a scientist, like you see it in, in everyday context as ways to, to surveil without necessarily um, imposing on people, which is probably the hardest way to do surveillance because it involves human behavior. Um, so, you know, it, for us, we're still going to get good, good data in, in these ways. Um, but yeah, to the average person, they're not going to get as much data output, which is fine because the, their measures have to be, you know, getting vaccinated, using a mask appropriately and, and getting treated if they were high risk. These things are all still effective if you have, but not just not necessarily always in the same context like travel and borders and so on. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And they're, they're reliable, they, they'll work, your immune system is there, you know, in good times and bad. So, you know, again, they're, they're easy things to do to, to lower the risk as compared to some of the things we were doing at the border. Dr. Chagla, thank you so much. No problem. All the best.